Darn it. Okay. Does he have right now? How many people are here? So, um, I just, for the purpose of the recording, welcome to the Network of Spiritual Progressives call on May 4th for, uh, in honor of Giving Tuesday. And we just did a welcoming song and breathing exercise, which I didn't record. So, <laughs> um, there you go. So now I'm going to talk briefly about Psalm 92. Psalm 92 is a psalm that we read on Shabbat. It's actually called a song for the Shabbat Sabbath day. And um, I'm going to read it to you and just share a little bit of my reflections. And I'm guessing Michael will jump in with some of his as well. And I'm sharing this psalm because I actually, I'm in rabbinic school. Some of you know that and some of you didn't know that. And um, I just recently, uh, for one of my classes, had to do a presentation about this psalm. And I really reconnected with it as I do every Friday night about the um, power and meaning this psalm has to me. And um, particularly in this moment, um, in this historical moment, um, and you'll understand why in a moment. So I'm just going to read it in English. <laughs> it is good to thank yod heh and that we understand is the transformative power of the universe, and to sing songs to your name, most high, to tell of your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to even play it on the music of the 10-string lair and the melody of the harp. It's like rejoicing with music and the celebration of the awe of the universe. For you have made me rejoice by your work. Oh, yod Bave, I sing joy. I sing for joy at the deeds of your hands. How great are your deeds and how very deep are your thoughts. A boar cannot know nor can a fool understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and evildoers flourish. Now, do you know why I'm reading this on Friday night so much? <laughs> it is only that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Yudhei you, the transformative power of the universe, the possibilities of possibilities, you are eternally uplifted. For your enemies, they will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You raised my pride like that of a wild ox. It's this, it's this ancient animal that we don't even really know about that had these horns, supposedly. So I just like to think about him having these amazing horns, and my pride is lifted with these horns. And I am anointed with fresh oil. I am, I am bathed in cleanliness and, and oils. My eyes shall look in triumph on those who seek wickedness. And my ears shall hear and listen to the downfall of the wicked who rise against us. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree and grow tall like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in Yudhebabe's house. You have to be planted in the rich soil, in the rich spiritual soil of Yudhebabe to grow tall like a cedar and a palm tree, blossoming. In God's courtyards, they will still bear fruit in old age. Righteous people will live on and bear fruit and continue to blossom and share and stay vigorous and fresh even in old age, proclaiming the uprightness, the justice of yod for that is our rock in whom there is no wrong. So for me, this psalm, because I don't know about you, but I know by the end of the week, <laughs> I've been working hard in, in dealing with the stresses of this moment, um, that I can feel pretty spent and burnt out and, and sad by the end of the week, and in times quite hopeless. And this psalm has a very um, deep message. And what it tells us is while it looks like evil is flourishing, because it, it looks that way, right? Can we just all acknowledge that it looks that way? For the last 3,000 years <laughs> right. or so. <laughs> right. Give or take a few but years. we've only been around for however many years, and perhaps even for most of us, this moment looks pretty tragic. Um, and as it looks like evil is flourishing, there's something about tr spiritual traditions that tell us that that flourishing is short-lived. It's like grass. It grows and it dies out really quickly. Quickly, but the righteous, those who are working toward moving the arc of history, bending towards justice, that 
well, is strong. It's strong because we're connected into the truth of the spiritual message of the universe, that love and justice can be prevail. And it grows like a palm tree and like a cedar in Lebanon. And one of the students in my class showed us a picture of a palm tree and said that the palm tree, when it's in bloom in Israel, and Lilith, you might appreciate this, I know this, it like gives off all this pollen and, and covers like all the air. So it's as if like the righteous are like positive pollen, shall we say, <laughs> spreading out and flourishing all over the earth. And that it shall blossom and flourish forever. And so while we may not feel that way at this moment, we may not even potentially see all of that in our lifetimes. It is there for us to access in times of distress. This long-term vision, this hope, and this faithfulness is accessible to us. So I just wanted to share that. Is there something you want to add? Well, I just add one word to the, that part which says, the, um, the fool doesn't understand this and the ignorant one doesn't com completely get it. I always add the word, fool like me <laughs> okay because there are definitely moments when i'm not right <laughs> i want to uh, i want to believe this and i build my life on it and at the same time i recognize that at times it's very hard to um to grasp that we're only in a moment a particular moment of history because it's this is our moment when i said before well last three thousand years yeah you know Human beings have been around um, at least for at least the um, conservative guess is uh, a million years. The, the certain guess is 100,000 years. So the, the period that we've been around is a short part of human history. Unfortunately, it happens to be the part we're alive in and uh, has, gives us many challenges, although it also gives us many opportunities to um, embody and uh, connect with lovely, wonderful people like those who have connected to Tikkun and the Network of Spiritual Progressives. So I'm delighted to see you all. Great. Okay, so I'm just going to read my article. It's pretty short. So I don't, some of you may have had an opportunity to read it, but some of you may have not. So just in case. So I wrote this um, in response to seeing the protesters to try to understand and help us deepen into trying to understand what would lead them to protest seeking to get back to work. And I wrote this before they were storming state houses and I edited a bit in face of that. So, um, so why people are demanding to get back to work. And now I'm quoting what I've heard people say speaking at some of these events. We want to work. We don't want a government handout. We are essential. We are essential. These are the voices of our fellow citizens gathered in various locations throughout the country, demanding that states reopen. Many liberals and progressives, both on social media and in the media in general, are horrified by their actions, deeming them insensitive and ignorant, using a variety of slurs and derogatory terms to describe them. What I hear in their cries are expressions of angst and suffering, not only economically. They are suffering from a crisis of identity. These are people who determine their personal worth and value through their work. Why? Because that is the message of the capitalist marketplace. Your worth and value is not inherent in you, but is a reflection of how valuable you are to the company or business for which you work. They have absorbed that message. So now that they are home without the ability to work and earn a living, which also has, of course, severe economic consequences for them, they feel worthless, worthless, excuse me. In addition, they've been told by the ruling elite on both the right and the left that it is them, them, the other, the poor, people of color, immigrants who take government handouts. It is lazy people. And they don't want to see themselves through the judgmental lens through which they judge the other. They need to feel a sense of dignity and respect. And that comes through their ability to provide for their family. They need to feel valued like they have something to contribute. But instead they are being told, your job is not essential, which they understand to mean I am not essential. So stay home. 
Furthermore, many of them cannot afford to stay at home. They live paycheck to paycheck and they do not want a government handout. They want their dignity more than their health and well-being. I heard a story of a single mom who is a hairdresser and has $15 in the bank. This level of economic distress and desperation does not excuse their atrocious behavior. It has most recently included storming state capitals with weapons and endangering the lives of government officials. Yes, I recognize that many, many people are suffering a similar fate economically or even worse. And they are out protesting, putting many, life, many people's lives at risk. Yes, I recognize that the essential workers are largely people of color and immigrant workers, and they are literally putting their lives at risk so that others of us can have our basic needs met and that these workers have no choice either because if they don't work, they will not be able to feed their families. If we can ignore the cries, if we ignore the cries of these people, we do so at our own peril. They are being used as pawns by the right and the Democrats are not helping the matter. They are passing stimulus packets, packages that pad the pocketbooks of the super wealthy while throwing vastly inadequate support to the rest of us. The coronavirus is an opportunity to disentangle from the distorted capitalist message that your worth or value is dependent upon what you earn and to reconnect with the highest ethical messages of all religious traditions that instruct us to care for each other. When Jesus told his followers, sell what you have and give it to the poor, he was not demeaning the poor for receiving, but uplifting the very notion of caring in part through giving. This message can help people understand that they are valuable just because they are embodiments of the spiritual energy of the universe. They are essential to their community and their family. Their long-term well-being and the well-being of their family and of all of us is what matters now. Staying home and taking care of oneself and one's family is an act of collective love and is a real contribution. That is what being valuable and essential looks like now. If we cannot show compassion and understanding for the real pain in these people's lives, we risk the likelihood that many of them will become the shock troops for an anti-democracy movement that can have profound impact on the 2020 elections and its aftermath. What? <laughs> so you were gonna share a little bit about your article and then we're gonna um, go into breakout groups. All right. So it's 4.52, <clears throat> so maybe like five o'clock we're going to breakout groups. Does that sound good? Uh, if you can stop me, sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, so <clears throat> what I wanted to say um, is that the key here, um, if you see what we're doing, is we're taking a group that right now, a lot of people in the liberal and progressive world are, are demeaning and, um, and angry at them, and partly for good reason, partly for the re reason of, hey, you're, if, if you succeed in getting everybody to go back to, to work, um, in, in pushing governments to uh, get us back to work earlier than is safe, that a lot of people are going to suffer. So that's a really bad thing. But at the same time, there's, um, there's a different way of approaching this question, which is not to respond by making all of the people who are feeling that way to make them into the enemy. And Actually, that's often what we in the liberal and progressive world have done uh, to, to um, take people who we see as misguided in some way and deny their humanity. Instead of what I think is critical for us is to try to understand the legitimate needs that underlie illegitimate behavior. You get it? To find what are the legitimate needs and then to try to affirm those needs and ask ourselves, first of all, how can we um, meet those needs? And secondly, then how do we help them understand that we actually respect them, even though we disagree strongly with some of the, um, the ways that they are seeking to fulfill those needs. So Kat, in her very smart article, um, points out exactly what some of those needs are, that these are, that, um, no, no, let me put in parentheses, of course we know that there's a bunch of them who are on the payroll of the of, um, rich, uh, the, the, the ultra rich who have put money into that, 
into that supposedly democratic movement from the, below. And yes, there are some of them who are racist and some, uh, I saw a sign of somebody carrying a sign that was explicitly anti-Semitic and somebody else uh, carried a sign saying uh, um, that work makes you free, the sign which in, in German was the uh, sign that, that the, uh, the Nazis put in front of the, uh, some of their concentration camps. No question about it, there are some really yucky people amongst them, okay? Not to mention that we've sometimes had some yucky people amongst us also, but okay. But, but okay, I want to acknowledge that, but most of them aren't that. Most of them are people who have legitimate needs. And, and I mention this only because um, it's critical for us whenever we approach a political situation to always look at those who are not with us yet and ask what are legitimate needs that they have that we might be able to speak to, okay? And if we can, then we should put that up front. And unfortunately, the um, Democratic Party and the governors have not articulated something that goes like, hey, we recognize that what you want actually is quite legitimate. And we wish we could fulfill that. But we want you to know that in not going along with your strategy, that doesn't mean we don't respect you and see your value as human beings. And we want to affirm it over and over again that you are, you, that your humanity is something that, and uh, fundamental core decency is something we recognize. Well, um, that's a general strategy and that doesn't get even into the beginning of my article, but my article then goes on to, 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 uh, to my article um, picks up themes from my book, Revolutionary Love, a, um, a, political, a political manifesto to heal and transform the world. And if you haven't gotten it, please get it and read I'm it. I'm putting a um, link okay. to it. Okay, great. Um, so, um, so the main, but a, a main point that I make there is that we have to really understand how deeply capitalist consciousness has led to um, the problems that we face in the society. I start with one obvious, one example. Right now, um, today and yesterday and for the past few weeks, there have been huge amounts of food, of, of um, milk, of eggs, um, and of other agricultural products that are being poured into the ground or, or dug into the ground by, um, by um, farmers who can't sell them, okay? Now, on the other hand, there are um, very large numbers of people who, uh, because they no longer have jobs, ha don't have money to buy food. And so they're going to food banks and the food banks don't have enough food. In some places there's enough food, but in many, many places in this country, there's not enough food. When the Times described it, it said, um, well, they have no choice but to do that. Well, why is it that they have no choice? What's coercing them? Well, it's not reality that's coercing them, uh, that's coercing them. It is the internalized vision that what is rational to do is to maximize money. And, um, and because that's the hidden assumption that um, maximizing money, profit, is the core to everything that's rational in society, then um, since they can't make a profit on it, um, now, of course, the government could, if we had a decent government, um, step in and say, we're not gonna have any more poor, uh, people hungry in this society. It's a, we're going to make sure that everybody has enough food and we will, if necessary, mobilize whatever forces are necessary, including the US Army that's sitting there doing with nothing to do. It's poor guys, they, you know, most of them are there not wanting to have a war, but the people on top are wishing they had a war. But they could be um, mobilized to bring um, uh, to create the um, pathways to bring the food to the people who need the food, but we're not doing that. Well, that's um, that's one just specific example of a set of examples um, that uh, I put in. I put even in that uh, note that I sent to you, and all the more so in the book about how incredibly not just irrational but evil is the core values of this system of the capitalist system, because the core values are maximize money and power, 
That is with rational behavior. So we are um, ourselves. I just needed them. Okay. So we ourselves yeah. <laughs> are um, participating in that system to the extent that we allow the old bottom line to shape what we, um, how we think about ourselves, our value, namely how much money do we have in the bank or how much, how safe are we, et cetera. Um, and, um, uh, and not recognize that what we fundamentally need is a new bottom line. That new bottom line that, that we at Tikkun have developed says this, that every institution, every corporation, every government policy, our econ economic system, all co corporations, our, our, um, our education system, our healthcare system, our, our cultural system, every part of our society should be judged efficient, rational, and productive to the extent that they maximize love and caring, kindness and generosity, ethical and environmental sensitivity, caring about social and economic justice, allowing ourselves to see other human beings as embodiments of the sacred rather than look at them in terms of what can they do for us? How can they maximize my individual needs? And, see, and uh, seeing them as fundamentally sacred and looking at the, the earth and the universe itself with awe and wonder and radical amazement, rather than looking at the earth from the standpoint of, gee, I wonder if there's something here I could turn into a product and sell and make a buck. Um, it's a, so this is a new bottom line. The short of it, we call it the caring society, caring for each other and caring for the earth. This is the core values, but it's never articulated. And most people in the liberal and progressive world, I believe hold these values, but they almost never articulate them. And it was, I believe that if Bernie had articulated what he stood for primarily in terms of that and said, yeah, here are some programs to achieve the caring society, but this is what we're really about. We're about caring, caring and loving and, um, and respecting and so forth. I think he would have won the, the nomination. And I think similarly that the liberal and progressive forces may well be on their way to yet another defeat with, um, with a candidate who doesn't know how to articulate these kinds of, kinds of ideas. They are critical and they will be critical after, no matter who wins in this election, they're gonna be critical for many decades to come. So this is a very uh, shorthand way of saying, go read the book, go read, <laughs> go read it. Read it, not you know, and what we're hoping is that some of you will actually, um, once you've read it, say, yeah, hey, I need other people to know this. So I'm going to set up a, a, um, a group, of, um, a reading group with other people, I'll invite them to it. And every, we'll have a meeting once a week and we'll read a chapter and talk about it. And we've developed a, um, uh, or developing a, um, a reading guide for No, we have a reading guide that Robert Koff put together and he's right there. Oh, thank, thank you, you Robert. Robert. So thank you, we Robert. can share that. I'm actually going to post it on the website. But okay. um, so can I move on? Are you, are you complete <laughs> um, enough? Of course. <laughs> when you put it that way, enough. enough. There's not, it's, there's it's, never enough. There's always, there's never <laughs> enough and yet there's always there's enough. There's always enough. So um, I'm also just going to put in the chat a link to a training that I lead that um, goes into this in, in great depth, a six-week training that's starting on June 1st. Some of, some folks who are in the call today have been in that training. So feel free to post anything you want about your experience of that. So now we're going to put you into breakout groups. There'll be four people in a room. And really what we want you to do is introduce yourselves and just share some reactions to what we've shared or what you've read. Um, and so you'll have, uh, let's say, about 10 to 12 minutes in your breakout rooms. It's not a ton of time, but um, it's what we got. So um, introduce yourselves. And let's just say each person will have about two to three minutes in your group. So I'm gonna create those groups right now. And um, I'm gonna unmute everyone. It's gonna be obnoxious for a minute, but that'll allow you to get to your rooms and unmute. If you're on your phone, it's star six. Okay, great. So what I wanna invite you to do now, I'm gonna mute everyone just because of the reverberation. That is annoying for all of our ears. Oh, hi, Kitty. 
is to um, invite you to either write in chat a question or a challenge or something that came up for you, or you can also um, unmute yourself. If a couple people unmute at the same time, then we'll we'll figure that out. But we just anything that came out that you thought in your in your group that you thought was um, interesting to share or the question that arose. So go ahead, Selene, are you I, trying to talk? Um, Selene, go ahead. I tried to... But we uh, can't hear you, but you're not muted on my end. Which one of us? So you might need to... Uh, oh, hang on. Now, now speak. I had turned my volume down. Um, I had asked some tough questions because I feel a lot of the problems is that I have a lot of issues with some of the anti-technology attitudes on the progressive left, but they, people don't want any high-tech solutions to environmental problems. I had, I had, and uh, I became interested in eco-modernism, which says that that a prosperous, technologically advanced and a society and a sustainable society are not mutually exclusive, but it gets beyond the either or. And I, and I am angry that people just dismiss it as so many much corporate propaganda rather than at least taking seriously the challenges it puts forward to mainstream progressive thought and asking some tough questions about what would the consequences be in do we really want to lower our standard of living as one who lives on a fixed income? People who talk that way make me very angry. And I think any progressive politics has to say that we cannot, we have to, to be a sustainable society, but we cannot do it by demanding people lower their standard of living. That that's, so that Brian, that's, Brian, I'm going to jump in so that we can make sure we have time for a lot of questions. So it sounds like, what, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like uh, you're frustrated because you want some acknowledgement that there's value in technology and that science actually offers a lot, and you're wanting that to be recognized by people even in the progressive world. Yes, that's correct. Okay, yeah. great. And I'll just add. Thank you. Thank add you. as a comment on that, that um, the way that you could prove that, your point would be to use the technology to, to help the now close to 30 million people who are unemployed right now and don't have enough food, and et cetera. So if the technology were, it may be that technology is valuable and can play a role, but if it were sufficient to, then that technology, most advanced technology in the world we have here, um, could deal with this problem, if it can deal with the problem. But actually it's not dealing with the problem. So there's something else that's standing in the way and it's not, that position on technology or against technology. It's about the values that people hold, um, particularly deriving from the capitalist marketplace that do not, do not encourage them to say, we've got to use the money we have to take care of people. Instead, every attempt uh, on the part of some in Congress to put, for example, a guar um, guaranteed income for people who are thrown out of work right now, yeah, um, or to provide guaranteed food for everybody, they get um, dismissed um, by, the, um, by those who support the capitalist ethos and put the that first. So that's not negating the, the possibility of technology to play a valuable role, but it's, it's, it may be a necessary condition, but it's definitely not a sufficient condition for dealing with either the immediate situation or the long-term uh, um, problems that we face. So let's hear some other people. Okay, so one person posted, uh, is love a doing thing or a feeling thing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, um, it's both. <laughs> and, uh, it's both. And revolutionary love involves loving and caring for people all over the world. Okay, we are in one interconnected world right now. And nothing should show that more clearly than the, the current uh, pandemic. So in that interconnected world, obviously you can't love in a feeling way every person on the planet. Um, I, I used to hate this when people would get up at rallies and say, uh, start, you know, um, famous people and get up and say, I love you all. But when I thought to myself, wait a second, they don't even know me, right? 
But that was a certain kind of love. That's the love of the feeling. But there's also a love of caring, um, the kind of love that led people to run up uh, into the um, burning buildings at, uh, on 9-11 to save other people that they didn't know. Hundreds of people lost their lives in that process because they cared about other people. That's a different kind of love. It's the love that, um, that in the Bible called, says, love the stranger slash the other. Love the ger, behafta la ger, love the other. Um, people, in other words, not people you know, people you don't know, but that you nevertheless have an obligation to care for. So yes, it's, it's both feeling, but it's also um, action. Action, uh, love in action today means social justice on the planet, environmental sanity on the planet, caring for the well-being of everyone. Because if you only think of how do I change myself and my internal feelings, you will not ever get to the point of being able to um, stop the destruction, the environmental destruction that's going on, uh, or to take care of all the people right now who are starving, starving. And uh, the latest uh, estimation is that um, with, uh, within the next few months, there will be at least a billion people without enough food to, to live on. So um, that, has, that love has to be a love of action and not just a feeling. And, and I want to add that that love, as I'm watching some of the discussion and debate in the chat, hang on, I'm going to mute a couple people. Maybe you're unmuting because you want to talk and I got your names and I'll catch you in a minute. Um, that it's really important that we find ways to hear each other. That we learn how to discuss our differences from a place of care. That we become curious about why somebody has a different view than we do. That we were willing to listen to their stories and be moved and open our hearts. We may not agree on strategies. There's people in this call right now who are not agreeing on strategies. And I want to and I want to um, say that the that the goal of our movement and the goal of yes, yeah, Stephen, I see your hand. Thank you so much. And the goal of um, any social justice movement, in my mind, that wants to get to a place where we're embodying love and justice in the end in the end game, if you will, that we do that in the process of getting there. And so I just want to encourage us to approach each other, each other being all of each other's of us with that love and compassion. So Stephen, okay, go ahead now. Yeah, hi, thank you. This is Stephen Sondheim. I have two quick questions and then a comment. Um, is Michael's article available? That's yeah, one. I'll post, I'll post the link in the chat. We also sent it out, but I'll post in the chat. Okay. The other is these chat these uh, uh, chat groups. How do we get into one of those? That, that I would love to do that. Are you meaning but, the? Um, excuse me, Stephen. Are you meaning the book groups? Yes, yes, yes. On this. No, he meant. You didn't mean on this call. You meant in an actual. I meant no. I'm excuse me. I meant the book groups. Yeah, the ongoing yeah. just. Yeah. So um, if you email me, cat uh, at spiritualprogressives.org, I can see if there's one where you are, or you can actually start one. And, okay. um, and I'd rather join one. And thanks the to Robert, the we have is, we have um, book uh, study questions. Yeah, go ahead. The, que the question is this: It's very controversial, but I, I'm a middle person. I'm a compromised person, um, and I think, for example, there's a lot of entrepreneurial opportunities to make some money, but to fix things. The Green New Deal, or uh, I'm an environmentalist. In other words. The zeitgeist now should be solving the problems uh, and making a new, a new industry out of it. Um, fair. Um, and for example, all the food that's being wasted, somebody, and then, you know, it should be the government, but somebody could make a, a reasonable business out of getting that food to the places where it's needed and making a reasonable profit. In other words, there's a lot of needs now that where some money could be made. And my, the other thing I was, we were sort of arguing in our little session. Um, I think there need to be criteria by which the profit-making companies need to, hmm, need to meet. And those that would meet them 
which be, you know, would be equitable treatment of people and, and, and profit sharing and, you know, you name it, the good stuff, the good economic stuff. Those would be the ones that would get the work. Uh, I'm a little bit afraid that if we totally fight against capitalism, we don't have good capitalism, but that we may lose the battle. And I don't want to lose the battle. I want to work with. So anyway, those are my comments. You, Michael, I'd love to hear your mm -hmm. comments on that. Thank you. you. Okay, this, this is a kind of empirical question, right? It's, it's not just a theoretical question. It's, um, okay, um, we've had the, um, since the, uh, about the last 40 years, we've been told that the earth is being destroyed. Um, apparently, the capitalist system has not generated enough um, profit-making opportunities for people to have uh, achieved the goal of, of um, uh, stopping the acceleration of destruction of the environment. Now, if you have an idea for how to do that, great, do it. I'm in favor of everybody who believes in capitalism, go for it. If you can solve those problems through capitalist means and et cetera, go for it. If you can provide people with ways of making money off of it, go for it. I'm ask, asking though, um, what set of, uh, under what criteria you have for when you could turn around and say, you know, it doesn't actually work no matter how much we tell people that they should find a way to make money off of, um, of ending the environmental crisis, doesn't look like the money is going there. For some funny reason, the people who have the most money um, knew about, for example, the destruction of, uh, caused by gas and, uh, gas and oil, and they hid it. They hid it from, from, uh, from everybody, even though they had their own scientists telling them that they were destroying the earth. Okay, what I'm saying is, if you can do it, we, we're not against you trying very much. It's an empirical question. But at some point, you're going to have to say to yourself, gee, you know, if, it, 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 if the things are getting worse and worse and worse within this system, and we've been relying on the capitalist ethos, um, maybe we need to try something else. Now, for some of us in this movement, we think we've already gotten to that point. But if you don't, you're welcome, welcome also come up with the plans and recruit people to that. Great, terrific, do it, I hope it works. I also wanna um, remind folks who aren't aware of it that we do have a um, amendment to New York, proposed amendment, I wish it was an actual amendment to the US Constitution called the Environmental and Social Responsibility Amendment to the US Constitution. I just posted a link in it in the chat, it's www.tacoon.org slash ESRA, Environmental Social Responsibility Amendment to the US Constitution which basically brief in really brief forms, the first aspect of it says that all elections at all levels in state and federal government should be publicly funded. Because we know that as um, private money gets into elections, it distorts um, the actual democracy under which we live. The second aspect of it has to do with any corporations with incomes of $50 million or more a year has to get a new corporate charter every five years. And to get that corporate charter, they have to prove a satisfactory history of an environmental and social responsibility to a jury of ordinary citizens who can hear testimony from people from throughout the world about the behavior and actions of that corporation. And they can hear testimony from scientists and experts and determine what to do with the corporation if they did not adhere to those standards. So I always like to say, imagine a boardroom of a corporation that said, oh, in two years, we're gonna to have to come up in front of this jury. Are we actually being environmentally and socially responsible or not? And if not, what can we do to become that? And the third, third section has to do with education at all levels, at all grade levels, um, around environmental education, around um, compassionate communication, and other things. Those are gonna just jump in here say. So if you can hear that, that's our, one of our very specific programs. Now, that is a program that assumes continuation of the capitalist system. It's not replacing the capitalist system. It's reforming the capitalist system in a way to make it more environmentally and socially responsible. So um, don't think that our movement is only for those people who are already at the point of re recognizing that the, um, that the, that the system um, needs to be fundamentally changed because we're simultaneously working on, on 
ways of changing the system from within and seeing if it gets any hearing. But if it can't get a hearing, if it can't, uh, if, if nobody takes it seriously, there's a reason. And the reason is because they've already been so soaked in their mind with the notion that the only thing that really counts is, is um, profit, then we need to do a, do a different thing. So our movement can have, has room for both people who have already gotten to the point of saying, no way that this uh, capitalism is going to be reformed. Let's go for a different vision. And what I'm saying is, if you go for the different vision, then don't couch that different vision in the language of, uh, of traditional socialism or Marxism that focuses primarily on economic needs and doesn't deal with the psychological and spiritual needs that are e equally uh, important and undermining to people's lives living in a capitalist order. But if you think we're not at that point, then we have ideas, specific ideas, for how to make very significant changes in the capitalist order that are steps towards um, making, making it more humane. And in the, um, in, uh, the book Revolutionary Love, it's filled with those kinds of ideas also. So I'm going to leap in because I, I love this discussion. I, I believe, you know, we're all one. There are no enemies. There's no other. But I also believe that the mm -hmm. earth is at a true existential crisis, mm -hmm. that unless we can stop extracting and consuming fossil fuels, we're not going to have a livable planet. Seems and that... We need to direct a lot of attention at that. I'll shut up. No, you don't. Okay. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, and one of the parts of the ESRA is that it does require that the um, that we um, d uh, reduce the amount of dependency on on uh, uh, those kinds of energy sources by fifty percent by twenty thirty and by um, by one hundred percent by by twenty forty. And um, and that may be the and it also suggests that the way that that may have to be accomplished is by um, nationalizing those two the um, the transportation industry and the um, uh, energy industry and having them run by environmentalists. Um, again, that will not. Uh, we've seen that kind of thing happen in other countries. Didn't end capitalism. It's not. It, it doesn't undermine. It doesn't destroy capitalism. But it says, look, there are certain industries that really need to be run primarily from the standpoint of the best interests of the earth and not primarily from the best interests of uh, the uh, capitalist class that owns. Well, well what about, the thing is, is that. Wait, Brian, Brian, yeah. I'm gonna jump in because there was um, another question from someone else who we haven't heard from. And I'm also aware that we passed our time. So if we have time, I'll get back to you in a minute. I just wanna respond to someone else for a moment, if that's okay. It's, it's how it is. Make it happen. <laughs> okay, so Sharon and Michael asked, and I just really want to address this, how can we hold each other emotionally while making big changes in our society? Change is a scary thing, even good and needed change. So I want to, I want to address that because I think that is part of what I think is unique potentially about our movement, and that is that we actually care about people's souls, about their spiritual beings, and about their hearts. And we want to offer ways to meet them with love and compassion and hold them tenderly. And so I always like to say that um, it's really hard for us to make big changes if we don't have trust that there's some way that we're going to be held. That, and, and when I use the term safety net here, I don't mean an economic safety net, although that can be true as well. Certainly in this moment, we all need an economic safety net. We need a safety net that gives people basic income for anyone who's unable to work right now. Um, but in addition, we need to have, um, let's say, an emotional, spiritual safety net, a psychological, spiritual safety net that people can trust, that, they are, that their fears will be held, that their questions and skepticism will be met with compassion and empathy, that their fears will be met with love and kindness. And I, in my training, I talk about the fact that the path from fear to love is paved with stepping stones of prophetic empathy, a combination of genuine empathy and a message of visionary upliftedness for the world that we all really want. 
So that is what I hope part of what this call can help us do for one another and what our movement, what I would want our movement to do for one another, which is to hold each other in tenderness and hold the other, whoever we see as the other, mm-hmm. in compassion. That was what I attempted to do in that article, in compassion, in their fears. And just to add to that, so specifically in this, in this conversation, there were some strong, uh, you know, challenges. And I just want to emphasize that when I said, for example, okay, try it, Stephen, make it happen, right? I wasn't, that was not a put down. That was a genuine saying, yeah, go for it. I can tell, you know, of course you're an ally. And so, so similarly, the person who was saying, well, technology can do it. Great, do it. Make it happen. We're, we're not, you're part of us. We're part of you. We want, we're affirming um, of every, everyone who wants to build a new, uh, a new bottom line, a caring society in whatever way that can happen. And we've got some ideas that we'd like people to work on, but if you already have another set of ideas, work on them too and share that with us as our, in our movement. Be part of us together. So, um, so it's not just about being nice to the right-wingers and affirming their humanity. It's also about treating each other with respect and caring. And uh, so um, that is critical to, for building a good movement. Okay, so it's 5.38 and we said we'd end at 5.30. So now I know next time we'll do the calls a little bit longer. Um, And for all of you who were able to hang on with us longer and stay here, thank you so much. Um, I wanna say, um, we're gonna end in a song in a minute, but I do do wanna um, make a request, which is tomorrow's Giving Tuesday. I know, we know that in this particular historical moment of all the historical moments for Giving Tuesday, this could potentially be the worst. Um, And just like all of you, um, we and our movement need support. And uh, we need support now more than ever. And one of the things that I know is that every single, if every person on, who received our emails and opened our emails, donated $5 a month, we would have our financial needs met for the year. And if everybody who's donated before increased their donation by $5 a month, we would have our financial needs met with those two things together. So we're thrilled you're here, whether you've ever donated or not. We hope you'll join the training that I'm offering beginning June 1st. We'll hope you continue to come back to these calls as we offer them. And if you are able to donate, um, the way to do that, I'm going to put in the chat, but it's pretty easy, is to go to tacoon.org slash donate. And again, uh, any amount would be as, uh, oh, thank you, Robin just wrote, I'm gonna start with $30 a month to Chacoon. Thank you so much. So, um, you know, this is, this is us. <laughs> the only way this continues is us together. And so if something moved you, if you can make any donation, a one-time donation or a monthly donation, we would be deeply grateful for your support. We thank you so much for being with us tonight. I'm gonna end with one of my favorite songs um, by uh, Holly Near, and it's called I Am Willing. So I'm going to play that now. And please uh, feel free to continue to chat as you listen to the song. Uh, Many blessings and much love. Thank you for being here. I'm getting there. And I am willing. To be hopeless would seem so strange. And I am willing to be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors those who go before. So lift me up to the light of change. There is a hurt in my family. There is some in my town. There is a panic all across the nation. There is a wailing 
the whole world round. I am old and I am willing to be old. Would seem so strange. Tis the ones those who go before us to lift me up. Holly Near, I am willing. I did put a link to the YouTube in the chat, but you can Google Holly Near, I am willing. Thank you all so much for joining us, and um, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Rabbi Lerner. Good to see you all. Good to see you all. Vanessa, good to see you. <laughs> Marion, good to see you. <laughs> No, good to see you too. So my last training. Yeah. El Eligar. Yeah. Yeah. Nice to see you. Good to see everybody. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. See good you night. Soon, yeah.